Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Wood Talk Online Radio for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are the three guys who actually are under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. You know, this new intro music makes me want to dance every time I hear it. I really, really, really like it. It's uh, episode right now. Yeah, you guys should be dancing when we do this. It's episode 74 for September 28th, 2010. And uh, I have to say, I'm fresh out of the shower, nice and clean, just like you guys like me. But uh, as far as Matt and Shannon go, not so much. No. So. Uh, well, actually, I just got back from getting my hairs cut, getting myself ready for WIA. So Ooh. I'm all powdery around the neck. <laughs> nice. You know what? Do you guys have to? Do you have <laughs> you to shower when you get home from getting your hair cut? I can't stand it. Even if they like, like powder me up and stuff, that irritates my my collar so bad. I have to take a shower. Thank you. I'm so glad somebody else says that. I get home, and I, I have to do the same thing. I mean, I am sprinting in the door. I am right in there, even if it's just so much as getting my head soaked so I can <laughs> yeah. get all that extra hair off and around yeah. my neck. That, that's the only way I can tolerate it. Everybody else is like, I don't know what your problem is. I'm like, dude, dude it's hair. Can't you feel that? Yeah, it's so irritating. Anyway, we actually do have some woodworking stuff to talk about today. Not just oh, hair. I thought this was uh, more like uh, uh, um, uh, the, the barbershop version <laughs> where we're going to sit around and, and talk about new styles that are coming out. And drink grape soda. Uh, That's right. And sing four-part harmony. That We could, <laughs> we could try us. that. We could try that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's what we're going to talk about today. The uh, Woodworking in America classes that we're most looking forward to. I'm signed up for a whole bunch of them. Hopefully I'll actually get to them all. Uh, That's like next weekend, right? It's this weekend, right? Just make it sure. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time we actually had a real curse word in the show. Leap. Congratulations, Shannon. Okay. Hey, uh, pleasure. Low angle versus high angle planes is another topic we'll talk about from an email that we got. I don't know if there's a forum topic about that. And the big question, can you live without a table saw, which is kind of interesting. And I've seen that being discussed on multiple blogs and things like that lately, including our forum. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So before we get to all that stuff, Matt, how about you tell them how they can get in touch with us? Absolutely. We, you know, probably by this point, there's you should know that there's a couple of different ways you can get a hold of us. If you ever have a comment, a question, or a suggestion about something that either you've heard in today's show or maybe something you'd like to hear on an upcoming episode, you can reach us by email at woodtalkonline at gmail dot com, or you can pick up the phone and leave us a message on our voicemail at six two three two four two two four five zero. 
You can also find all three of us on Twitter as myself is at MBW Podcast, Mark is at Wood Whisperer, and Shannon is at Renaissance WW. And you know what? We're even on the Facebook too. So you can also catch us causing all sorts of trouble in the new forum over at woodtalkonline.com. I don't know why I keep forgetting to mention that one. I mean, that, that one's pretty crucial because we, we, we definitely are over there. One of us at some point, given <laughs> you know, any time during the day, is in there. I've caught myself actually going in in the middle of the night. I like wake up at like 1 or 2, and I'll look over at the missus, and she's out cold. So I grab my phone and go, <laughs> hey, who's in the forum? <laughs> yeah, I've got a direct neural connection, actually, that uh, is wireless and just lets me know whenever there's a new post. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right, so let's head into the next thing. Mark, what do you have on your bench so we can get this whole show started? You got anything good going on? I do, I do. I've got some Honduran mahogany on my bench, actually. Um, anyone okay. who's been uh, watching the blog, I've been putting up a couple posts here and there just kind of keeping people posted. I've got some beautiful Honduran that I'm working with and making a big trestle desk slash table for our, our gaming area. So it's uh, it's a big monster. The uh, it's, it's a lot of material I had to make. It's one of those poor planning things because I kind of planned as I went along and actually wound up making about four trips to the lumberyard to get the stuff that I needed to get, which <laughs> is always a miserable time in the middle of summer in uh, Arizona. So I wound up getting a lot of really heavy-duty material. The stock for the top on this piece alone is, um, what did I wind up with? An inch, and oh, it's over an inch and a quarter thick. So we're talking a serious, thick, heavy-duty top. Uh, wow. The good thing, though, is it's a 65-inch it, span between the legs. The total length of the top is like 92 inches. So in order for me to span that distance without having to you know, be con- too concerned about sag or anything like that, uh, I had to go with something a little bit thicker. And I think the thickness of the top kind of blends with the sculpted legs that we're doing. So, uh, of course, I say we, and I just mean myself, but I, I tend <laughs> to do that a lot. Uh, so that's really what I've been focusing on, trying to get that filmed. And, uh, wow, I mean, you you guys film this stuff too. Sometimes a project you think is going to be an easy thing to film, and, and really there's not that much to say about it. You turn around, the next thing you know, you have tapes and tapes worth of content. And I'm on uh, my fourth card. Typically, a card for me equates to about maybe 30, maybe at the most 40 minutes of content from that card. And I've got four cards worth now. You know, out of nowhere. I do talk too much. And I've had that said to me before. (laughs) Actually, I I have a question. How long is the the desk? How long is that top? uh, It's uh, 24 deep, 92 total length from side to side. Damn. It's long, yeah. Well, the thing is, Nicole and I, when we when we game, we, we are playing right next to each other, so it has to sit two people comfortably uh, at at a gaming you know system. So we have to have enough room for the computer. We've got to have enough room for leg room for two people, and we also, I mean, we eat at this table a lot. So a lot of times our gaming is based on like East Coast time. So while other people are at like eight o'clock, we're just ready to start thinking about dinner. So it, it's important that we have a place to put a drink and, and a plate that isn't in the way. So that's kind of the concept for having a huge, expansive top to be able to spread out a little bit. That's cool. Yeah, so yeah. it's a lot of fun, but it's it's been keeping me busy, and uh, I actually think I'm pretty much done at this point. I've got a little bit of work to do tomorrow, and then I, I my goal was to get this done before WIA so that I can just kind of go to Ohio and enjoy myself and come back and start fresh with a new project. Nice. Now, in the in the pictures you had on, this is the piece or pieces that uh, they were lifting with a forklift. Now, <laughs> yeah. is that because it was that that heavy? I mean, how did you get that in there? <laughs> this uh, this company that I go to, Spelman Hardwoods, it's just part of their policy. If I go and order an eight foot four quarter board of you know pine, 
they're going to put it on a forklift and, and bring it out to my car. Uh, it's just the way that they do things. It, it looks a little bit cooler, though, when you've got a big piece of, like, you know, 14-inch wide, eight-quarter stock sitting on this thing. It looks more impressive. But they'll uh, – it's great. They actually just bring it to the back of the truck. The guy gets out of the, the forklift and tips it in, and you just tie it down and go into the office and pay. <laughs> I, I had this image of it being so big and so heavy that when you got it in the truck, suddenly your truck was low rider and you had like the shades on. You're going, hey, Vato, what's up? I got some mahogany. My truck already is a low rider. Uh, no, just kidding. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it would be if I was in the back of it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, it's actually um, the, the pieces were a little bit difficult to manage. I mean, I'm not that big of a guy, so, you know, I, I'm not that weak either. But you know, I picked this thing up and uh, normally I just pull a board and put it up on my shoulder and this was like okay you know this 14 inch wide solid hunter and mahogany 12 foot long board um that's not the easiest thing to wrangle into the shop but uh it's it, it worked out okay i made the top out of two boards guys two boards that's all i hope that um i hope you caught that on film i'd love to see how a power tool guy surfaces a 24 inch top uh, I do it with uh, I surface each one individually with a planer and glue them together. <laughs> That's how it's done. Uh, so anyway, enough about my business and, and crap that I'm working on. Matt, what's the deal with this plane? Did you get this thing together yet? It is almost 100 percent done. It's it's at the phase now. It actually looks like a plane, and um, it, it, it's it. it the, the nice thing, the whole reason why I've been so so slow on moving on this is because I'm slow in general. Uh, but, re- uh, this was one, one of those things I was hoping to have completed by WIA also, but yeah. unfortunately it's not going to be, but I'm thinking about bringing it with me anyways, just to kind of, uh, to show how it's going. Do it. The, the, the infills I have had, they have the bed angles cut for it. So they're right where they're supposed to be. I had to do a little tweaking, um, with, with some pan- sandpaper and a, a granite surface to get them perfectly flat and get them lined up with the, uh, the mouth and the sole of the plane, and we'll we'll see that because I'm making sure to document this whole thing, how it's going together. Cool. Um, one thing I did do is uh, I, I I kind of uh, jumped ahead in my instructions. In fact, what I really did, I'm I'm, I'm going to confess this to everybody here. Please don't tell Ron this if any of you run into him. I lost one of the pages from his instructions. Don't. And rather than running back to the computer and um, yeah, uh, printing it, which probably would have been the easiest thing, I just made an assumption on what the next step would be. <laughs> so um, I did that, but Good it's idea, working man. out perfectly fine. <laughs> Essentially, the, the the part I'm skipping, and I, I really don't think it's going to have any effects on it because it really is in there solid. The infill itself is held by two things. One is um, some uh, uh, CA glue that Please will help to hold tape. everything Please in place. duct tape. <laughs> <laughs> That, that there is some on it right now, um, but but then the other thing is uh, the, the, uh, some some uh, uh, dowels, some screws that go in through the sides to help hold it in place. In fact, actually to help position it. And really, once I got those dowels in place, the way I ended up doing it, uh, they are rock solid. I've been act- playing around with it quite a bit, and it's not going anywhere. So, not using the CA glue, I don't think it's going to have any effect because the way the thing is designed, mm. just using those dowels. It's going to hold it in place, and I, I I put the blade in, unsharpened and everything, just to play with it, and Ron puts together an amazing kit. I cannot wait for this thing to get done, and a huge side effect I thought was really, really cool is since I never work with exotic woods, I mean, seriously, like Pennsylvania cherry is super <laughs> exotic for me. Right. This East Indian rosewood that I'm working with, when I cut it, um, not only did it look like I suddenly was like in a chocolate factory and putting sprinkles all over my, my, my shop, it gave off like this potpourri smell. 
So for once, rather than like wet dog, sweaty mat, my shop actually felt very fragrancy and nice, and people (laughs) wanted to come in and visit. So that was pretty exciting for me. Nice. Yeah, you know, the the exotics have an incredible range of smells that they emit, and it really depends on which one you're working with, whether it's horrible or really, really pleasant. Yeah, zebra wood. Ugh. Yeah, it yeah. Like Does it smell sauce. like zebra? <laughs> yeah, wet zebra. Wet zebra. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what was funny about this, uh, Shannon? Do you recall the last time we did wood talk and we asked Matt how long he thinks it would take to put one of these planes together? And I think he said it would be like just an afternoon, if I recall I believe correctly. So, and it's been about a month. So um... I'm thinking it takes an afternoon for Ron Breeze to put together <laughs> one of these planes. So <laughs> well, we might want to bump that time up. A bit. <laughs> yeah. I, I well, you know, um, for for a normal person, it would be an afternoon. But for me, um, an afternoon is like you know a week. So <laughs> right. I, I seem to like only work on these for like a half an hour to forty five minutes at a shot, and then suddenly I get, Dad, I'm late for soccer practice. Oh, really? Yeah, there's mat time, and then there's like the real yeah. world time. So aren't you yeah, supposed to like, like run laps before a soccer game anyway? Just tell the yeah, kid. Yeah, well, like, well, where's your mom? She's at the grocery store. We'll run to get her. That will warm you up. <laughs> there you and go. Have her take you to the field where you can play. <laughs> nice. One yeah, of these days, I want to make a great parent. <laughs> someday. Someday. I'm still waiting to be a great parent. I think maybe I'm going to be a better <laughs> grandparent. <laughs> I'm a great parent of two beautiful little dogs. And they're yeah. very well behaved. <laughs> they are. They're sleeping all day long. That That's like the perfect kid. Just there sleeps all the time. All right, anyway, enough about my stupid dogs. Shannon, <laughs> what's on your bench, buddy? Well, um, I also have a project that I had vowed to get done in time for woodworking in America, but that's mainly because I'm going to put my tools in it to carry them there. So, oh. I, you know, I keep saying I want to build a toolbox, and I just never do and never do. And I, I'm like the, the total ghetto guy that shows up for classes with, like, stuff in a plastic Safeway bag <laughs> and socks and things like that. And, right. And uh, last time I went to Chuck Bender's school, I had, like, this old cloth bag that, like, a Ryobi cordless you know, those cordless tool packs, mm-hmm, right. like four or five tools. It came with like that little shoulder bag that you kind of laugh and say, yeah, right. Like I'm going to use that. And I I did actually. So I just said, this is ridiculous. So I figured I would pull something together and I'm kind of basing it off of, um, if you guys, uh, Tom Fidgen's made by handbook, mm-hmm. that cool yep. little toolbox he did. Mine's kind of based on that same idea. And the fact that the, um, the handle kind of wraps around, the the case uh, the handle's made out of walnut and kind of wraps around the side and the bottom but everything else is made out of cherry i actually originally was going to make it out of this really cool piece of quarter sawn white oak and uh that's kind of heavy <laughs> I, I actually like laid out the stock you know i hadn't cut anything yet but i you know i marked out the pieces from the stock so mm-hmm. you know that the stock is going to weigh the same as the stock when you cut it apart. Sure. And I, I laid a couple of the tools on it and was doing kind of spacing. And then I tried to lift the whole thing and I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> not no good for portability. Way. Huh? Yeah. It would be kind of like, um, I don't know, putting your tools in like a Volkswagen bug and trying <laughs> to carry that around. It was just so blooming heavy. I mean, the, the, the toolbox itself is about 15 inches wide and 25 inches long. It's designed to hold, um, my longest panel saw, and I could put a joiner plane in there if I wanted to, but um, I don't see myself taking a joiner plane on the road very much. But at least this way I can put a saw in there so there's saws on one half and planes and stuff in the other half, and there's a little dividing thing down the middle that has holes for chisels in it. So that that is actually done. Um, I've got a coat of finish that's drying on it right now, so I'm going to cool. hopefully be able to put another coat of varnish over top of it 
tomorrow and it should be ready to go. Sweet. And then um, I did film the whole thing and I actually wanted to get it out in time for Woodworking America. In fact, the little opening sequence that I filmed, I said, Woodworking America is a week away. And I'm filming <laughs> this for Woodworking America. I'm just going to have to edit that part out because yeah. there's no way I'm going to be able to get that thing edited and posted by the time I leave. Sure. So, All right. Oh, well. Bummer. What are you going to do? You just move on. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that, that toolbox. Maybe I can, I can, you know, um, I'll know where exactly to go get my tools from now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we'll, we'll uh, talk about this a little bit later because I wanted to talk to you guys about what, what you're bringing, but we'll, we'll discuss that when we talk about the classes and stuff. Okay. Uh, is that all you got there, Shannon? Uh, yeah, I think so. I okay. mean, there's other stuff, but. But we'll move on. There's always projects going on. You know how it goes. Too many projects. Oh, Not enough way time, right? too many. I've got a list so long that one of these days <laughs> I might have to quit the show and do them. You, you, you may as well. You may as well. Just get them done. All right, let's jump into emails. Uh, we do have two of them to talk about. And it uh, looks like Nicole just got home, so if you hear any noise, that's what that is. Okay, <laughs> Rob in the Great Pacific Northwest, as he says, uh, I'm a little confused on the difference between low angle and normal slash high angle planes. Uh, besides the obvious, what application are low angle planes used? Are normal high angle planes for removing more material and low angle for final finishing? Or is it more of a, the type of grain that you're removing? In a, he says, is a fence like the one available for the Veritas low angle joiner plane a legitimate way to solve the issue of leaning to the left like Miss Carey addressed in podcast number 67? So we thought this would be a good uh, thing to discuss on the show. Um, actually, if I recall correctly, I forwarded this to Shannon and Matt and said, hey, this is why you guys are on the show. Enjoy. Um, <laughs> yeah. But now we're talking right. about it on the show. So what do, you, what do you say, guys? I say the answer is yes. Good, good, good. That's helpful. Yeah, so. the same here. That, that was exactly my answer. I'm like, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Good job, Next guys. question. <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, let's address the easy one, the right. fence, the low-angle joiner plane fence i've actually never used one of these matt you've got one don't you yeah i, yeah, I use it all the time um it, it's okay. it's absolutely wonderful it saved a lot of skin on my knuckles really when it comes down to it <laughs> and it's got the hair on my head from when uh things don't go quite the way they're supposed to right all right well okay. then i i won't say what i was gonna say about it being a useless tool but... <laughs> oh, <laughs> don't. let's have this let's throw it out on this one you know what we need more disagreement on this show so you guys go ahead have it out let's hear it I just think that you, well, first of all, I, when I joint edges, um, I usually use a cambered iron and I control the squareness of my edge by moving the plane laterally back and forth across the edge. So sure, sure. if like the high side is on the left, I move the deepest part of the curve over top of that. In other words, the deepest part of the curve takes a thicker shaving. And as the curve of the plane kind of tapers off to the edges of the plane, it takes a thinner shaving. So if my high side's on the left-hand side, I'll put that deep part of the blade over the left-hand side, and I end up removing more of that till I get it level. Um, I don't know. It's just one of those things that I think with uh, training wheels like that, it will help you get you know, good results, no question. But I think right. that you're, you're selling yourself short a little bit by not mm -hmm. learning to, to do it by hand, to channel your inner square. Um, and I don't know. I think we've we've become kind of a um, tool collector nation where it's like, Ooh, this is a cool tool. I want to get that. And do we really need it? You know? So, and, and most of the time I say, yes, I do need that tool. But this is one that <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say not so much. And I, I don't think it's that hard. Now I'm saying this, even though I've never used it before, I just, I'm going to be going to be contrary and say, no, 
Those are for losers. Losers. <laughs> you know You know who else thinks it's for losers is uh, Adam Carabini. And I'm going to reference this blog post he made a couple times here in his discussion. He just recently put up a post that uh, was called Tools You Don't Need. And, Talk about a throwdown. That was an awesome yeah. post. Yeah, no kidding. Adam likes to cause trouble. That's what I like about him. Um, yeah, I like he's somebody, a big dude. He can back it up. Yeah, he, he, I just like somebody who's not afraid to just you know say what they feel and whether you care or whether you agree or not, screw you. Um, I think those buckles on his shoes are actually throwing stars, so that's <laughs> that's part of being able to back that up. Well, you'll know if, if uh, Matt comes back from WIA with a, a, a buckle print on his forehead, you know what happened. <laughs> yeah. um, so he says uh, in the, his great list here, you got to check it out. I'll put the link to this uh, article in the show notes. But number eight, jointer fences. He says, some manufacturers make these machine fences that attach to your planes to help you hold the plane square to the face. I say, if you want to use a power joiner, go use it and don't feel bad about it. Slacker. No, he didn't say that. I did. I'm ad-libbing here. If you want to use a hand plane, learn how to square an edge, get a triplane with a cambered iron, and learn the trick, uh, which would be what Shannon just described. So there you go. Yeah, you heard it here first. Oh, Wow. All Although right, I, well, I do admit I did read Adam Carabini's blog, but that's not why I said oh, that. Oh. But I do, I do feel like we're ganging up on Matt here a little bit. But no, uh, it's okay. I'm a big guy. I can bring it on. Bring it. I mean, I can handle it. Bring it on. Okay. All right. So let's move on to the, the other questions in his uh, in his email here. So really, give us a little bit in terms of the difference between your normal and uh, versus low angle planes. So we've talked about it a little bit. But let's get into the meat of it. Okay. Right. Who wants to go well, first? Matt, I took the first one last time. I took the first shot last time. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I have a feeling you and I will probably agree on this one. Dang it. Um, <laughs> really, when it comes down to it, the, the the whole line of low-angle planes that we have right now is it, it's pretty new. Historically, low-angle was only – there was only really one low-angle out there, and that was like the, the Stanley number 62, I think it was, the original – like butcher block plane Mm -hmm. and it just never went anywhere. So it was like the one plane, but now suddenly, you know, both Lee Nielsen, Lee Valley, they both have uh, a full line practically of all the low angle planes. If you compare uh, low angle to the traditional uh, 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 beds, the angles of uh, uh, traditional planes, there is not really any difference as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't matter whether you go with, all low angle smoother jack jointer, or if you decide to go with the traditional ones, uh, in the end, the results will be very, very similar. The one place that a low angle plane will absolutely uh, be of benefit is the fact that it's much easier. In fact, it really, it's the only one that you can adjust the uh, um, uh, the, the primary bevel on to give you uh, a, a wider range of what you can do with the plane by a- adjusting the bevels. And this will pl- kind of help to answer the high angle uh, uh, planes by adjusting that, that primary bevel will help you to work with different species of wood. Certain hardwoods need a higher angle to help minimize the tear out that you're going to get from it. So with a low angle plane, because the bevel is up, if you adjust the the bevel, on the blade of the low angle, you essentially will get this higher angle, which will help you to, again, minimize the tear out so you can just swap the blades in and out, where with a traditional plane, uh, you can't do that. It's, it's stuck at 45 degrees. So you can, you can change the bevel all you want, but because it's beveled down and it's the bed angle that determines what is the, the actual cutting angle, mm-hmm. it will always be 45. Um, with the high angle planes, these take you more towards what would be like a scraper plane. So they're higher up, which then helps to, again, minimize the tear out. 
Uh, sometimes I think what they're called York York pitch. Isn't that one of them? Isn't that yeah? Uh, yeah Lee Nielsen has an option York for a York pitch, pitch which is fifty five degrees. Fifty, I think. Yeah, something somewhere in that range. So, it, 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 the, yeah, <laughs> when it comes down to it, really, let's let, let's just say that uh, low angle planes and traditional planes, you don't need to have every single one of them. Really, you can choose and say, I want all the low angles because, man, they're really cool looking. They look like, you know, a Ferrari of the hand plane <laughs> world. And the traditional ones look like my dad's, you know, Studebaker from way back when. Um <laughs> You know, so that, that's really that I can see where it's confusing because if you open the catalog and you look at it, you're like, oh my god, look at all these low angles. Oh, look at these traditionals. What you have to have, you know, every single one of them. No, pick and choose like one smoother, yeah. one jack, one jointer, mix and match. You know, colors, whatever you want. Be happy. Uh, they all play essentially the same role. Now, let me ask you. If, I mean, I think we have recommended in the past that if if you're new, and a lot of people who listen to the show are relatively new to the craft, so they yeah. don't necessarily have the full selection. They don't have all different types of joiners, you know, in uh, Schwarz's uh, coarse, medium, fine categories, you know. So, what w- would you say that the low angle might be the better choice if someone is just building their collection because of the fact that with the cost of just a second blade, they can get some increased functionality out of a single plane. Yeah. I, I think that that's a very valid argument, and I yeah. I would I've recommended that to people. Um, well, and I think uh, it's yeah. not even it's not even just the versatility of it, but there's fewer moving parts. A, a bevel up plane right. doesn't use a chip breaker, mm-hmm. right? So you know when you're when you're talking about adjusting a bevel down plane, you have to move that chip breaker, you know, really close to the edge to break the chips faster. For like a smoothing plane, if you've got thicker chips, like in a, a you know a jack plane or, or even well, there's no chip break on a scrub plane, but if you're taking thicker chips, you got to move that chip breaker back from the edge. It's just one more thing to have to adjust, to have to make sure that you've tuned, that it meets yeah. the blade properly, all that stuff. A low, or excuse me, a low angle bevel up will just, it's interchangeable. I may say low angle, I may say bevel up, just ignore me, same thing. <laughs> they don't use chip breakers. So to me, it's a heck of a lot easier. Um, you know, I would say if you're going to go out and buy only one plane to start with, I'm a big fan of the Veritas jack plane, the the low angle jack. Right. Um, it's just so blooming easy to use right out of the box. Those set screws help you control the blade movement and you don't have to deal with a bunch of stuff. It's just really easy to work with. So, yeah, yeah. With, 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 a, with a low low angle plane, especially the one that you mentioned, the, the jack, um, for the lack of a better term, as far as I'm concerned, it's it's like the Swiss Army knife of uh, planes because it is so versatile. You can do so much with it, mm-hmm. and right. you know, and you're right for the for the cost of just a couple of blades, you could have you know three different, essentially three different planes. Everything from a really rough you know jack to basically a really nice smoother that you can dial in and just get some fantastic results with. Yeah. So it's a now, great way to go. There is, uh, I actually put something in the show notes here. There is a, a whole section in the forum on this. But why bevel up? Why bevel down? Oh, yeah. And this is this is a group of guys that are too blooming smart for their own good. Um, <laughs> I highly recommend checking this post out and follow the link to Conrad Sire's blog. Mm-hmm. Uh, sour, Conrad Sour, um, sounds Sawyer good to Steiner. me. Sour, yeah, Sour sounds bad. Conrad's. <laughs> anyway, Sawyer, Conrad's blog. Um, there is this is this is one of those like pins or tails first type conversations. Right. Um, yes. There is a lot of science behind this, and and yes, there are 
reasons to say the high angle or the traditional planes should work just fine. They work fine for many, 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 many years. Mm -hmm. and, and as Matt said earlier, the low angle is kind of a newer incarnation, especially as we see it now. There are things about things called clearance angles, which is the basically the clearance of the blade behind the edge um, that you don't really get much of in a low angle plane because your, your blade the clearance angle on the blade is the same as the bed angle of your plane, in which case it's usually 12 degrees. Mm -hmm. so there's not a lot of space there, and that can cause issues when you're talking about fiber spring back. It can cause wear issues. Um, a lot of people say that bevel-up blades will wear faster, and they actually develop a, a slight bevel on the back of the blade, which can make it harder to sharpen. But I'm saying all this because, you know, there is there is a lot of evidence to show some of this stuff, and there's a lot of really um, people who really know what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, and actually, if you go to Conrad's blog, people like Ron Hawk, like David Charlesworth, um, chime in. Larry Williams of uh, uh, Clark and Williams Planes, they all chime in on this blog post. So it's like wow. the people who <laughs> the, know what they're talking. The about dream team. Yeah, exactly. You know what this is so, though. This this reminds me. It's like the equivalent of two guys, two power tool junkies, you know, debating which saw is better because one of them is flat to the nearest thousandth and the other yes. is flat to the nearest two thousandths, you know? Exactly. <laughs> I, I have, I have a lot of each. I have a lot of traditional angle planes. I have a lot of low angle planes. I use my low angle jack plane from Veritas like every day, every day and three times on Sunday. It's yeah. an incredible plane. But, you know, I also have a couple of old vintage Stanleys that I use all the time. And I have a couple of wooden um, beveled down planes that mm -hmm. i absolutely love i just think that you know really we're, we're really picking at really really tiny little things here um use what works well yeah, <laughs> yeah. use what's easiest for you um I, I think that the majority of our audience these are not guys that are heck even most some of these professional guys are not using the planes enough that you're going to see these types of issues sure um you know it's we're just nitpicking too much. So before everybody who reads that post comes back and says, you know, Matt and Shannon are wrong, there's real big, big different issues, <laughs> you know, I'm acknowledging the fact that there's always another story to this, but I just think just go out in your shop and work some wood, people. Let's not talk totally, about it totally. Yeah, and honestly, I got to say, um, excuse me, I have the uh, Lee Nielsen low angle smoothing plane, and every time I use it, I feel about 25% sexier. So I'm not sure <laughs> yeah. where that comes from, but I love that thing. Um, yeah, and you know, one last thing, if you, if you want to talk to somebody that will really kind of give you an idea of what you can do with a low angle, talk to Denub Polowski. Oh, uh, what's his yeah. name at Lee Nielsen, right? Yes, yeah, he he pretty much, every time I've seen him do something, it's always with his uh, uh, low angle jack. He swaps blades in and out of there. You know, yeah. like somebody in NASCAR, you know, changing tires. It's insane. <laughs> it's amazing what he could cool do with it. That would be awesome. He should just make the noise every time he does it. Um, in fact, from now on in my podcast, I'm going to dub that in. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Time to change blades. <laughs> <laughs> okay, real quick, I did want to mention uh, Adam's uh, comments on low angle planes because he did address that. And he did include that as one of his things that you can skip when you're setting up your shop. Yes. Well, and the one thing I'll say about Adam, the point that I loved about that post more than anything is just pick the right wood. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, if you're trying to use crazy, you know, Australian jungle wood, it's going to tear out. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. You're going to need to kind of tweak your bed angle and your blade bevel and all that stuff. If you use good hand tool wood, 
you're not going to have these problems. That, you can't you can't overstate that. I mean, yeah. I, I know as I've gotten more and more into hand tools, I st- seem to gravitate more and more to using things like walnut and cherry and stuff that just you know tends to to plane really well. It just makes the project so much more fun if you really do want to take more of a hand tool route. Just pick the right woods. You're absolutely right. Right. I absolutely. there was a. Um, well, segue to woodworking in America. I know we're not there yet, but Brian Boggs did something and was it the design conference? Matt, you were sitting next to me. Yeah, that I was, was listening related. to the Am, uh, Amway uh, conference next to us. Apparently, right. Bonnie yeah. won uh, bestseller for the Midwest. <laughs> Brian Boggs did a seminar, Woodworking in America, the design conference on designing for your wood. Mm-hmm. And you know, as beautiful as his stuff is, I think honestly, it's because he uses beautiful straight grain stock. He lets, you know, the curves of his design dictate it. And he doesn't use a lot of this crazy figured exotic stuff. And don't get me wrong. I love figured wood. It looks beautiful, but I just don't use it very much because it's a pain in the butt. Yeah, it's not practical, you know, if you're doing a lot of the hand tool stuff. Yeah. Okay. um, We have another email here that I'll try to read quickly. This is uh, concerning our previous discussion. You just mentioned uh, some of the comments about, um, you know, designing for the wood. This is comments relating to our discussion about designing for the client versus designing for yourself, the fine woodworking article. I can't remember the exact date, but it was about the improvements that they were making to other people's designs. So this is kind of a, a an interesting point from a designer, but not a woodworking designer, somebody who has experience in the world of design, but I believe it's like in, in web design or product design. So just a, a few interesting thoughts. Uh, we don't really have to talk about it much, but just to get you thinking. Uh, This is, by the way, from David Young. He says, first, let me begin by saying that I know next to nothing about the various styles of furniture. This is in an area uh, where I do spend on plan on spending time educating myself. I can, however, speak to design as that is one of my primary fields of expertise. If there is such a thing, I think you pretty much nailed it when you said that design changes and or tweaks really do come down to individual taste. And you absolutely should take these articles with a grain of salt. The one thing I found in the 10 plus years I've been designing for clients is that it's very easy to go in behind someone on a finished product and say, I probably would have done this instead of that. Or they could have taken this step further and done this with blah, 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 blah. I'm messing that up, but that's not important. Anyway, and I agree that these articles are fascinating, but at the same time, while not necessarily the case with the latest article, this method of critique can often brush over other constraints on the project, such as client input, availability of particular stock in the project time frame, certain space limitations, uh, machining requirements, etc. We were just talking about using the right wood. For example, what was the intent? What was intended to go on that shelf in the entertainment piece, and how heavy was it going to be? If it was meant to hold a high-end home theater receiver, well, going thinner on that shelf may have made some pretty negative consequences down the line. Continuing on. Sorry, this is a little bit long, but I think it's good. The one thing I absolutely disagree with on the article is the recommendation that you design to please yourself. As designers, you ignore the client at your own peril. And this is something I think I might have been that might have been missing from the podcast. And one thing I would hate for anyone starting in design to misunderstand Yes, you can design to please yourself when you are the only one putting limitations on your design. However, when you are commissioned to design something for a client, you are expected as a designer to bring your design skills and sense of aesthetic hereafter aesthetic ability uh, to deliver <laughs> to deliver a quality product that first and foremost meets the client's requirements. Uh, whether starting from scratch or modifying someone something that they've shown you uh, or provided you. Now, this can be obviously done in the design stages before anything is constructed, but reiterating what you said, design is about taste. Our 
and our taste as designers may and often do vary quite a bit from the clients that have hired us. Should we like the end result? We certainly hope so. Do we always? Absolutely not. It's just the subjective nature of the beast, so to speak. So thank you, David, for uh, some interesting thoughts, food for thought there, and designing for, I guess there was a direct comment, he quoted it, designed to please yourself. So I think the problem is, especially with a magazine, they sort of talk to both audiences at the same time. So sometimes they may be talking more toward your hobbyist who's just developing skills. Other times they may be talking to, you know, more of the pro category, but you know, so but I, even I, then, even then as a hobbyist, yeah. What what did you tweet earlier this week, Mark, about wanting to sculpt the legs of that trestle table? <laughs> That's true. Your client is frequently someone in your own house and, <laughs> and usually wears the pants. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's that's exactly what happened. I, I wanted to sculpt the legs a little bit more, make them a little more round, go a little more intense on the roundovers. And I had only done the initial sculpting and the initial routing to create the roundovers. And I brought it in and Nicole loved it. And she's like, no, don't, don't do any more. I like it the way it is. So, um, you know, I don't think this was a right or wrong thing. It was just where I wanted to go and where she wanted it to go. So, you know, I was happy enough with it at that point that I felt comfortable just easing the rest of the piece into what I had already uh, done. So yeah, (laughs) the client won on that one (laughs) for sure. Nice. Okay, um, we didn't select anything. Normally, we take some articles and blog posts, but it looks like all three of us struck out there. So let's jump into the uh, the forum posts. And this was an interesting one. Let me copy this so I could see what the latest information is. The forum is pretty cool in that it also lets us do polls and survey people. So uh, Muddler Mike, who is the happy owner of the Wood Whisperer Yak avatar, <laughs> uh, he he put up a post that said, could you live without a table saw? And we're giving uh, Adam Carabini a whole lot of attention in today's show. He put up a post, and this is why this was really compelling to me. He put up a post a couple weeks ago, maybe even a month ago, a series of posts about the table saw and whether we really need it, considering how dangerous it could potentially be. Is is it necessary? Do we have to have this tool in our shops, or are there other feasible ways to get the job done that don't involve the table saw? So Mike asked this question in the forum and did a little poll, and his choices were, well, let me go through what the results so far. Eight, the question was, could you live without the table saw? 18% said absolutely. Uh, 13% said, I like the idea, but having separation anxiety. and 36 percent said only if it was a last resort that's the the majority said only if it was a last resort and uh 31 percent said no way you can have my table saw when you pry it from my cold dead hands (laughs) (laughs) so um the discussion you know rages on there so if you want to jump in we'll give you the link for that uh but really really good topic i I don't know how much we want to go into depth on this other than to kind of go around the table here and say you know what do you guys think could you survive without your table saw uh matt i could um i probably would sweat bullets in a few situations but um i I, i'm confident i could find a way around it Mm -hmm. okay definitely shannon i was in the absolutely category okay that answers that question. I'm actually thinking about selling it right now. Actually. <laughs> um, me, I was in the only if it was a last resort. Um, you know, I, I really do rely on it a lot because it's something I've worked into my workflow. But if it wasn't there, I could probably find other ways that would, you know, work into my workflow. But I would be kind of sad about it because I do really, you know, not just because it has flames on it, but because I, uh, <laughs> I, I really do count on it for a lot of and, things. 
And that's what it is for me. Mine doesn't have flames on it. So absolutely, oh, I can live without it. That makes sense. If it has flames on it, totally different issue. That, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So and, yeah, and check actually, it out. there was, um, there's a couple of really good comments on there on that forum post that you guys should go all read it. But one of the big things was for those that are like building a shop who've never had a table saw, mm-hmm. absolutely, piece of cake. But anybody who's actually gotten a table saw and has maybe come to rely on it, that's <laughs> yeah. when it becomes really hard to say, let's walk away from this. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you, I'll, I'll put the link to uh, Adam's stuff too, because he took a very, very specific standpoint. <laughs> I mean, sauce. yeah. Talk about, uh, you know, <laughs> stirring things up. It was basically, you know, for the most part calling for like, you know, outlawing the table saw or, or basically saying that the magazines and the media, it has the responsibility to show alternatives. You know, do you have to rip everything on your table saw? No, you can use your bandsaw. Uh, let's look at some of the alternatives. So he has a very strong viewpoint. I don't even necessarily agree uh, with him 100%, especially in the in, the more you get into a professional shop, I think the more the table saw becomes important. But if you're yeah. really just in there working wood for the love of working wood, and you don't mind, you know, taking your time and learning some other processes. They happen to be safer processes as well. Um, there's really nothing wrong with saying, yeah, forget about the table saw. Right. So, so with that idea, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I threw a link in to something I found on the forum, like way back in the early days of the forum. And uh, Jason Straw put a, a link to one of his YouTube videos. He's building this just crazy marquetry um, set of tables. Mm-hmm. And I found it really interesting because I was just reading through the posts on that, um, uh, can you load that a table saw? And here's a guy that at no point in this video did he use a table saw. Now, it's no wonder he's a graduate of the Redwood College of the Redwoods, Kurnoff School. And mm-hmm. Kurnoff, I don't think, owned a table saw. Um, I could be wrong there. But, uh, you know, it's all bandsaw work. Yeah. So it was kind of like watching a Maloof video or something like that. He's, he was shaping these legs. It's all done with the bandsaw. Wow. Um, and I, I just found it really interesting. Here's a guy that's produced just an, an amazing table. And, you know, because of the fact that, sure, there's a lot of curves and a lot of kind of free form lines in there. But, you know, the table itself is, you know, straight lines and square. Um, and you never see the table saw at right. use. So there's a good example. Plus, it's just a really cool video. Um <laughs> somebody that should be applauded for really taking good quality video and getting really good camera angles. And you know, the, the film guy in me kind of loves that. So I go missed check this. it out. His I, website, by the way, is pretty dang cool too. I missed it somehow. I don't know how, I mean, when was this posted? August it was like, 28th. Cause I specifically like went into the general woodworking section and like clicked on the last page. Yeah. yeah. Like a few days after you launched this forum and he put it in there. Okay, well, he's and he's only posted twice, so he I guess he posted it, came back and said, "Hey, thanks," and then left. <laughs> so, yeah. well, anyway, cool. the Redwoods graduate and make some cool stuff. I will be checking that out myself. Very nice, wonderful. Um, all right, moving I, on. What do we have here? Well, actually, I just slid one the, from the forum. Oh, I, kind of I realized see. It. I forgot to put something in here. Okay. Um, it was uh, and this this kind of is something that we talked about even way back in the days of uh, uh safety week. Um, high school woodworker brought this one up and it kind of caught my attention. I had to laugh about it. Girlfriends in the shop. And the discussion went from there. Apparently, <laughs> Only when I, my wife's not there. I was just going to say, I never bring my girlfriends in the shop. My wife would be very angry. Yeah, that my, my wife would definitely notice the high heel marks walking through the sawdust <laughs> and they're not mine. I only wear flats. Um, but essentially, the, the question kind of, it brought up that whole topic of 
people coming into your shop unexpectedly. And I know that we, we've talked about, I think you, you did a whole thing about it during safety. I think both of you did yeah. we, the discussion of, you know, something has to be set up. So there's an understanding of when it's safe for you to come in, when it's not. And um, I know in my household, we definitely have the rule of you hear the noise, you stand in the door, unless, of course, the noise involves dad screaming for help, in which case it's okay to come running in. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think it was, it's pretty neat because as you go through this, you see how this works for everybody. This is such a common thing, and everybody has their different view of it. Like, well, I want them to come in. I want them to experience it. Um, I don't want them coming in because I don't for this reason, that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it, Did it, anybody it's say those... when their girlfriend's in the shop, they put a sock on the door? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was a, uh, the apron strings there you on go. the door. Put the apron on the door. Nice. Yeah, yeah. or the, or the shop belt with yeah. the hammer in it. It is kind of funny. I mean, because I first saw this post and, uh, what you know, the post is girlfriends in the shop. And I'm like, didn't we just do a post that was dogs in the shop? <laughs> just yeah. the timing on it was pretty funny. But, um, yeah, you know, luckily, uh, well, I won't say luckily because I don't mind Nicole coming in there. But I can't get I can't get her to go in there for anything. She, you know, like if I want to show her something, she'll peek her head in. She, it's just too dusty and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't want to trip over something or, you know, stub her toe on something. So she doesn't really care to go in the shop very often. <laughs> It's all good. Yeah. It seems like the only time my family really wants to pop in there is when I have the camera going and they've heard me on like, you know, te- the 10th take. And then they love to pop their head in and just stare and occasionally run through. Just to make you totally <laughs> uncomfortable. That's always fun. Nice. So, okay, yeah, cool. We'll have to link in there. That one, that one's kind of interesting. And it seems to have gone on for quite a while. I it did, it's yeah. Like one of those three pagers. Right, yeah. All right, we got a couple of voicemails to run through. Uh, our first one here is from Earl in Canada. And I'm waiting for quick time to load so bear with me for a moment that must be the canadian version what is the deal (laughs) yeah no no problem computer i'll wait Uh, okay here we go good morning boys it's earl from alberta canada calling got a question for you about wood finishing uh, I build a ton of smaller projects for the home and normally finish most of them up with a Danish oil followed up by a wipe-on polyurethane. And most people like the looks and it uh, stands up well. But I'm having some problems with a few of the exotic woods. Uh, a lot of them finish just fine, but uh, namely things like uh, Paduke, Kingwood, Cocoa Bolo. I'm having problems with the, uh, the polyurethane not, uh, not setting up at all and not curing. Um, even especially the Paduke, after a couple of weeks, it just wipes right off, doesn't set up at all. Looking for an alternative, what I can do for finishing on these. Uh, some of these get handled quite a bit, so I'm looking for something fairly durable. Um, can I maybe seal them first before doing a polyurethane or an alternative for, uh, for finishing them? you guys have any suggestions or comments, that'd be awesome. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right. I know you guys know the answer to this one. Common issue. Yup. Wipe it down with mineral spirits, remove the oil, seal it with shellac, and then put your finish on. Word up. Booyah. Or just go with a more domestic wood like pine or cherry. There you go. That's (laughs) just use the right wood, right? Um, Yeah, this is one of those things. This is very, very common. Any of those oily exotics are going to cause problems for your oil finishes. It's just not going to allow them to cure properly. So you do have to seal them up with some uh, shellac and de-wax shellac is always 
your best bet. Uh, you probably, if you wanted to, depending on what he's got access to, he could go with something like a pre-cat lacquer if he's looking for something that's a little bit more durable. And I would probably still give the surface a, a quick wipe down with acetone or denatured alcohol or um, you know, something to kind of break down any surface oils on it and then go ahead and spray it with some lacquer. That should do it too. But it sounds like if he's already on the path of oil finishes, he might want to seal with the shellac. And I would probably avoid the Danish oil because you got a little bit of a boiled linseed oil content in there that's going to make it even more difficult. So go with a pure uh, polyurethane or uh, um, some sort of varnish on the surface, and I think you'll be fine. We, you know, here's a follow-up question, and I'm going to take this actually from uh, the chat room itself. What's a good reference for what, spe- what wood species are oily? Do we assume that an exotic would be oily? So if anybody else ever runs into this, I mean... It's a safe bet. You know, if you're dealing with it with an exotic, it's a good bet that it's going to be oily and you're not going to hurt anything by taking the the proper precautions. But, you know, you can kind of look it up, but there's a lot of resources that uh, will break down the different wood species and give you an idea of whether it has a a high natural oil content and will cause finishing problems or not. Um, Basically, any hardwood that works at McDonald's is oily. (laughs) (laughs) That that is true. (laughs) Oh, show. You're on the. Da da da. All right. Uh, we got another voicemail here. This one's from uh, our buddy Roberto, who unfortunately has had some uh, had bad things happen in his shop. Let's uh, let's hear about it. Hey, guys, this is uh, Roberto from New Mexico. I have a heartbreaking story that I need your help with. I uh, was gone out of the state for a little while, and it rained a whole bunch here in New Mexico. There was a small leak in my garage roof where I have my workshop. And a whole bunch of water collected on the bed of my jointer. I came back after four days, and it is just half of it is full of rust. And I almost cried. I actually think I shed a tear. But I need your help now. How do I remove that rust? Should I get steel wool? Should I just scrub it? WD-40? You know, a steel bristle, br- steel bristle brush? Let me know. Uh, I'm in desperate need here. Thanks. That is a real bummer. My my first uh-huh. bit of advice is move quickly and don't let that rust sit there any longer than it has to. Do something. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You can get that surface rust off and see how deep it really is. Yeah. Sometimes just being able to brush enough of it away, hopefully at that point you'll see if how deep the penetration is going on and try to get something in there to just oh, pull that moisture. I, I'm actually, Roberto, I, I'm, I am shedding a tear for you. Yeah, that's I know terrible. you don't want to cry, but I am, I'm... I'm secure enough with my manhood. I can. <laughs> we promise not to cry on the the iron, though. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it really depends on how deep it is, right? Because uh, right. Sur- surface level rust, you know, if that's if that's all it was, and he caught it quick enough, then he might be okay. But man, if he's if he was gone for a couple of weeks and this was just left uncontrolled, you know, that that yeah. could be bad news. Yeah. So I, my my first suggestion is, is just that. Just get the surface rust off. Maybe take like one of those uh, like Scotch Brite pads, mm-hmm. something like that. Just just enough to start removing a little bit. Get a layer. See how deep it really yeah, is. See if you can get down um, the clean, clean metal. Yeah, exactly. And go from, put some molasses on it. That will help to uh, eliminate. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, get get that off there. And then at that point is then when you're going to take some sort of um, like a I don't want to like a penetrating no not a penetrating oil. At th- that point is when you want to start putting something like one of those top coats on either like uh, like the T9 if you go in that route or what was it the top coat the one from you know you can see the can oh, the the bow shield and top coat stuff yeah well what yeah. what if it's really deep i mean we know surface rust you can you could clean it with a little wd40 and and uh, you know one of these abrasive pads but what about the deep stuff what do you guys recommend <laughs> 
Well, I, uh, well, I've tried the uh, um, the other the, the the other T9 product, the the rust free. I've used that, but that's one of those that hopefully you have a very well ventilated area, or you like having the nose hairs in your nose burned out for you, because that that <laughs> will hurt quite a bit. Um, and then that's a matter of letting it sit on there, penetrate. You know, you don't want it to sit too long because I think they have a time limit on there that they would recommend. Yeah. What about that evapo rust stuff? You guys tried that? I would like <laughs> to try that. Yeah, I've tried it. That would probably work pretty well. I mean, it's not going to get everything off. It, it kind of blackens the stuff as it um, chemically reacts with it. Yeah, um, yeah. Honestly, the only time I've had experience with like really deep rust and like pitting rust is restoring things like saws. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually got, um, they're called rust removers. I think you can get them actually at Lee Valley. Uh, you probably can get them at auto body shops. They're like little uh, sanding blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, and they come in different grits and they actually have they're impregnated with some kind of um rust removing type thing so it's like take a little one of those sanding sponges things and you know soak it in boshiel or something like that for a while and i mean it pulls stuff right off um and you know there's the abrasive action of it so it's already helping to remove some of the stuff so i think the idea is i mean you're not going to be able to sand out those pits i mean you're having to talk about taking down the entire surface to the bottom of that, but you want to right. get the rust out of there. Mm-hmm. So that at least, you know, cause rust is, you know, just keeps eating. It's like a virus or something like that. So once you get it out of there, then you can protect it and cover it. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad news. Um, we, you know, one thing at this point, um, th- this is definitely one of those. I think if you take the, the, the time, uh, to do some preventative maintenance and to occasionally go in there, depending on where your, your tools are, like if it's out in the garage, if it's out in a location where, you know, um, there's there's a good chance of having some moisture being thrown at it or around it or something. Mm-hmm. This is one of those great stories where if you do the preventative measures ahead, hopefully if you had some sort of um, protective surface on it, you know, you did a wax job once in a while, um, you, you didn't have like the, the T9 or something on there, that would help to minimize, yeah. you know, what's going on. I mean, it's not going to stop it, obviously, but... Better than nothing. Know, Give a little layer. Yeah, definitely. Well, hopefully uh, that'll work out. Definitely let us know, Roberto, how it turned out and, and what yeah. you wound up doing and how it worked. But one thing's for sure, I don't think his tables will look the same <laughs> when they're done. <laughs> they're either going to be darker, they're going to have, you know, sanding marks and scratches, but the, as long as overall they're flat, you know, who cares? It's fine. All right, one more voicemail here from uh, Bobby Slack, who's making uh, quite a noise in the forum. He posts, he posts a lot. He seems like a good guy, though. All right, let's uh, have a listen. Hey, Mark, Matt, Shannon, my first voicemail. This is Bobby Slack, Gaucho Woodworking. I posted in the forum some pictures of the piece that threw me into avoidance behavior. So question in the finish. Uh, I posted a comment there. Do I go dark on the desktop like a chocolate and then I put the plugs in the clear finish and the rest of the plugs in the rest of the piece in dark like the uh, countertop or I do the countertop light with dark plugs that's the question trying to make it short I know I'm terrible goodbye hey thanks for the forum thanks for the wood whisper thanks for mad basement shop thanks for all your great content uh, you're an inspiration Take care. And, Mark, If I, I would have saved a lot of money by not watching your great content. 
sorry about the tool bill there, Bobby. But uh, <laughs> hey, uh, we all go through it, right? Um, all right. So <laughs> I had to go back to his post just to figure out exactly what he was talking about. And I'm still not 100% sure. It looks like he has a Alder face frame for some sort of built-in. And mm-hmm. he is screwing the face frame into the uh, carcass and he's got holes that he is plugging up. So his question is, what should he do about those plugs? Because it sounds like he wants to maybe allow them to sort of be an accent as opposed to trying to hide them. Or should he be just staining them all the same color and just kind of mask the whole thing? Is that what you guys got from that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. Well, okay. it seems to me if he stains the whole thing, the plugs are going to stand out anyway because they're ingrained. Mm-hmm. And they're going to soak up a heck of a lot more. They're going to be darker no matter what you do. Well, he was um, talking about going to ebony. You know, he's really looking to go dark. So they, you know, okay. with ebony, it's still, you know, you're still going to see them, but it may not be as bad as if he went with something that's like in a medium brown color where the end grain is going to get really dark brown. So it, it, it's kind of tough because I'm not 100% sure that the, the the differences here are pretty dramatic. Like whether whether you go dark with light plugs or one of his other ideas was go light with dark plugs, those are two very different things. And it really, that's a personal taste thing. Um, yeah. But my suggestion, I mean, the thing is I really, unless the plugs are essential to your design and something you absolutely want to be able to see, it sounds like he wants to go into the darker uh, realm of color. I would say just, you know, put the plugs on, trim them flush, sand it, and then I don't I don't know why he's not just staining the whole thing in place and staining it one consistent color. You know what I mean? Or possibly if that end grain is causing the problem, maybe he wants to go to a medium brown or something, uh just use face grain plugs. Get a, a set of um, a plug cutter set and cut your own plugs from that instead of using dowel stock. Uh, you'll wind up with much more consistent results and you can actually very easily hide those plugs instead of calling attention right. to them. Well, actually, he's, he's in, the, in, the, in the chat room and he says he wants to make the plugs pop. So that was um, part of it. So, so. then Endgrain will right. do that. Well, they, I think he's got to go lighter with the background wood. Here's the thing. If he goes with a medium brown stain, they will darken, right? I mean, that's what Shannon mm-hmm. and I were just talking about. So um, the Endgrain naturally is going to soak in more stain and that's part of the the joy of doing it that way. So maybe do some test boards and see, see what you think, uh, Bobby, see if that works for you, but it will be several shades darker. If you do something like that. I don't know if it's like, you know, an essential dine, a design kind of whatever I'm talking about here, design yeah. principle or something like that. Or uh-huh. it seems to me the knee jerk reaction. I know for me, um, when you look at a piece is always to try to take those accents and make them darker than than the background yeah um so if you were to take them and and then make the plugs lighter i think it would almost detract a little bit um it it maybe come across a little gaudy and and again i don't know whether it's like human nature wants it to be (laughs) you know darker um i think to have those plugs a little bit darker i think Um, i agree with you i mean there's something about it that makes it look like something's missing there's something like ingrained in our dna to say it shouldn't be lighter than the background yeah Yeah, that makes sense. Where's George uh, Walker? Uh, yeah, he where's was. Walker when you need him? Um, <laughs> well, be at WIA. We can ask him then. Well, there you go. Yeah, that's uh, so. Yeah, that's what I think. That's pretty. I can, I'm trying to read the chat, but it's moving kind of quick. I can't tell if we, you know, sufficiently answered his question. But that's how I would do it. And uh, yeah, and you know what? Not to mention, trying to go lighter would be really tricky. Yeah. How do you pull yeah. that off and wind up with flush plugs? Yeah, it's like trying to do federal stringing um, and inlay. I mean, you have to go back with like a tiny little paintbrush Mm -hmm. and shellac all that inlay. (laughs) Right. 
Um, if you know, if you've got like holly inlay on a mahogany drawer, you can't just throw a finish over top of it. You've got to take like a tiny, fine pointed paintbrush, like you would use to paint like Warcraft miniatures. There you go. Ooh, yeah. And um, <laughs> go over it with shellac in order to seal that so that it doesn't absorb any kind of dye or stain that you put on top of the mahogany. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's why whenever whenever I do like a decorative inlay, I absolutely make a point that it's not going to be a stained project because staining is just going to throw everything out the window it just makes it a real pain in the butt yeah absolutely all right we've got a tom's tip to uh finish up the show here with everyone likes that i don't have carrie's tip this week because i forgot to ask for one so maybe maybe we'll get her to do one live for us uh at wia cool oh you know what we're moving really quickly and i forgot i must not have even put it in here uh, let me play this tip, and then we'll go back and talk a little bit more about WIA. Say, didn't we want to talk about woodworking in America? Yeah, I, I guess I, I mentioned it at the beginning, but I forgot to put it in later on in the show notes. So let's play Tom's tip. I'm going to go get my little uh, itinerary, and then we'll talk. Tom's tips. That's right. I said Tom's tips. I didn't say Tom's lips. I said Tom's tips. Hello, everyone. It's Tom Iavino from Tom's Workbench, and it's time for another one of Tom's tips. If you plan on working on a job using large sheets of plywood, there's one tool you should get your hands on. Head to the drywall area of your home improvement center and pick up a drywall T-square. The head of the square registers against an edge of your plywood, and the long edge gives you a great line to mark against. This way you can make sure your marks, and hopefully your cuts, end up nice and square. The best part? They cost all of about $10. Not too shabby. Are you looking for a good time? That yes. involves woodworking? Mm-hmm. Hey, who isn't? <laughs> you can connect with woodworkers from around the corner or around the world at the Wood Talk Online community. Just visit woodtalkonline.com and let the fun begin. Yeah, let it begin, like Tom Woo-hoo. says. Yeah, when is it going to start? I'm so much fun. There's so much fun. All right, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about WIA. That's coming up this weekend, and man, I would have been upset if I forgot to mention that before we close up the show here. So, when are you guys heading out there? You're going to arrive on what Thursday, both of you? Yep, yep. I'm going to be there Thursday, Thursday night. Me too, me too. Okay. I, think I don't yep. get lost. So this is what Friday, Saturday, and Sunday are the three you know days of the show. There's all kinds of events you know before, after, during, and around the uh, actual classes and uh, demonstrations and things. So there's so much going on. This is really like this is the thing to attend. Like if you're going to anything woodworking related this year, you want it to be woodworking in America, right? Absolutely. This is this is going to be the. I mean, they're making this so much bigger than the last two. Well, technically three, since there was two last year. Yeah. Um. This is gonna this is gonna be really interesting to see how it's going from kind of a a, a small little quaint family reunion type thing to. You know, bringing in the whole entire city, basically. Do you are you concerned about that at all? Do you think that could be a bad thing? To be honest with you, there is a part of me that that is a little concerned because I going from the very first one, um, where it was really, really small and intimate, it really felt very family oriented. I mean, we all had this huge dinner inside of a uh, um, uh, like a little uh, um, gymnasium mm-hmm. where you pretty much knew everybody. I mean, high fives down the the walkway as you're going back and forth between classes. Last year's <laughs> very similar. This one is like going from that small little tiny one classroom, uh, you know, school to now it feels like I'm heading off to the giant university. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm hoping that my nervousness for it is completely just me being a complete 
moron, which is pretty normal. So it should be okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we get into talking about the different classes and what we're taking, I wanted to see if you guys thought that this is kind of a weird situation because uh, this is a huge thing. Woodworking in America can't be, you know, you can't deny it. It's, it's huge and it's becoming bigger. And every year I think this is something we're going to look forward to going to. And I, at least from what I've seen, please correct me if I'm wrong, but because this is basically run by popular woodworking, there's complete silence on the topic from fine woodworking or uh, other other magazines, right? I mean, have you seen yep. anything? Yeah. So let's pre- I mean, so here's a, what a weird situation, right? <laughs> they have to basically pretend this major event in the woodworking community is just not happening. Yeah, it, it's well, it's really weird because yeah, yeah, this is one of those things like AWFS you would expect to see plastered everywhere. And instead, it's like well, popular woodworking. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's about it. Well, and for for you know the, the for woodworkers, this is a much bigger deal and much more important and much more useful than the big tool shows. The tool shows are really about the tools and the manufacturers. This is really about the craft and and well, it's a little bit about the tools too. But the stuff we can actually buy, you know, whereas <laughs> right, like right. the big tool shows, most of it is stuff that's it's not meant for us. So you know, it, we're kind of trying to squit, you know, fit a. Uh, square peg into a round hole when we go to those shows but this this is exactly what we want out of a woodworking show and i just find it really interesting to watch the dynamic where no other magazines can talk about this huge event because it supports the competition yeah well it kind of makes you wonder too about some of the um kind of fine woodworking writers you know the garrett hacks and the christian becks forks and guys like that they're just incredible resources and incredible teachers for that matter yeah and you know i mean they're hands off I mean, you talk about if you want to learn about shaker furniture, how cool would it be to get Christian Bexford to come to this? But that's not going to happen. Right. Um, he's on FWW's payroll. And it's it's interesting because I don't know. I mean, not even part of the woodworking. I mean, why why would they bring it up? I guess it's their event. But, you know, it seems like we just kind of ignored the fact that, you know, there are other magazines, Wood Magazine and yeah. Woodworker and all those things. Right. Uh, Woodworkers Journal. I don't know, all those magazines I don't read. <laughs> don't. <laughs> well, I mean, and at some point, it seems like they're going to, as part of being, you know, especially in the web community and blogging, certain things happen and certain things have to be reported on if you want to, you know, keep people abreast of what's going on. Ooh, I said breast. Um, keep people, you know, informed on what's going on in the community. It just seems like as this event gets larger and larger and more manufacturers are going to it and it just becomes this huge big deal, it's going to be really awkward when when they just don't say anything about it at all. And and yeah. here's the thing, because it's associated with the magazine, will a particular person be restricted like you were just saying? Is that person really restricted on being able to go to a live event if requested because they write for a magazine? You know, right. And it seems awfully limiting because they can go to other uh, live things they can teach they can go to schools they can do whatever it takes to get paid as long as it's not writing for another magazine or another publication so this isn't writing it's a it's a you know going someplace so I, I almost think that those people should be allowed to come to this event but will they be restricted i'm sure they would get pressure and have problems hey, seriously, what would happen if asa christiana tried to register for classes <laughs> I mean, it, as long frankly, as he doesn't get one of my me, spots, he should be okay. <laughs> right. If it were me, if I work for Fine Woodworking, I would go. I would attend. 
as, as an attendee, you know, I mean, it's this perfect opportunity to go into the competitions camp and see what's going on. Just see but, what's, you know, an inside look, why not? But I think, you know, they're, they're a prideful bunch. I don't know that you would necessarily see any of them say, you know, it, it's more of, I don't know, maybe head in the sand or let, you know, I'd rather ignore them rather than to give attention to them. Uh, but we, the thing that the thing they can ignore is what this is doing for the vendors right. and the manufacturers, especially now that they're bringing power tools in on this particular conference. Oh yeah. I mean, this is a huge event and a huge moneymaker for guys like John Economaki and, and Joel Moskowitz. And, and now that they're bringing, you know, these power tool guys in, you're going to see Powermatic there. You're going to see general there. Actually, I don't know if Powermatic's going to be there or not. Mark, you would probably know, but I know general's there because they're donating all these tools and selling the, the show, the ones they use for the show, you can get like a deal on general table saws, the ones that they use at the particular show. So now popular woodworking is locked arms with manufacturers and the manufacturers freaking love them yeah. at this point. <laughs> so now when you're trying to go and buy sell ad space in your magazine and you know, they're thinking, all right, well, you know, popular woodworking put on this great show. Let's spend our ad dollars on them, you know? Well, and you also think about, you know, outside the box thinking in how a publication and this, you know, this broadens out to everything, everything in terms of print and how different, uh, you know, print publications are going to start doing things to survive. And think about it. If this becomes a major revenue source for them every year, this could be something that keeps Pop Woodworking around for a long time, you know, where other magazines may not come up with some really cool thing that makes them money and they wind up, you know, folding. Yeah, it's possible. Well, you never know. Then again. I hope that popular woodworking is making money on this. That's true. Know. Well, if they're not, then they're bad business people. But, uh, <laughs> well, well, I mean, it, last, year, last year wasn't really well attended, so it makes you wonder. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's why it's in Cincinnati this year. It's because it's a heck of a lot cheaper to not have to move 20 benches across the country and fly all these people in and all that stuff. So. Right, right. Well, and, you know, the, the good thing about this, and, and although, although I just made you know a joke about saying they're bad business people, the the one big thing is I think there really is a true focus on what's important to the people who are attending. Let's regardless yeah. of profits, regardless of of what manufacturers we can get to this thing, who's sponsoring it, all that crap. It still seems like they are really truly dedicated to just getting the stuff that we want to learn, you know, and getting uh, opportunities for learning that we don't normally have access to. Uh, all in one place, all in one weekend is a, is a pretty incredible feat. So um, kudos to them. You know, this is looking like a, a really big deal. Sure. You know, it, what I think is really neat is on top of it, you know, you not only have the vendors coming in, but what they have uh, all all the free things going on there too, with actual like free classes. You know, this is kind of funny because if you think about it, you have these paid classes and you have the free classes, and the free classes go on the same time as the paid classes. So you might see some people who are taking the paid class go, man, look at that free class. It looks kind of cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> and 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 speaking of which, go check out Joel Moskowitz doing freehand sharpening. He's got a killer way of sharpening freehand. He's doing it sometime on Friday, but if you're going to Woodworking in America, figure out when he's doing it. And for that matter, if you miss it, go up and talk to Joel and say, tell me about it. Mm -hmm. um, he taught me at the Philadelphia Furniture Workshop, I don't know, whenever that was, like two years ago. It's a very, very cool, very simple way to freehand sharpen. It really doesn't take a lot of practice. So wow, cool. go, go, do, go to that. Do that. Sounds um, good. So I wanted to ask you guys, uh, not to make this long podcast go any longer, um, what class or you know class or two are you most looking forward to in your lineup? Mm. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, I have, I'm still looking at my list. I don't even know. The one right off the top of my head, and it's kind of funny because uh, – 
because of the fact that they, we are going to power tools, I'm really looking forward to uh, Mike, Michael Fortune's set up a bandsaw for ultimate precision. And it's kind of funny because this goes to that whole issue of fine woodworking, the other magazines and stuff. I'm familiar with reading his articles in fine woodworking, and he's had you know a number of them about using the bandsaw mm-hmm. uh, in those magazines. And here he is at, at this conference uh, doing pretty much the, the same exact thing. So I, that's one of them I'm, I'm really looking forward to. And it's kind of funny because when I think of woodworking in America, I think of hand tools. And the one I'm absolutely looking forward to is a power tool one. So I, I feel dirty about that somehow. Well, I'll back you up on that, Matt. I, I think I was looking through it, and I've got a few that, you know, in the hand tool side that I'm really looking forward to. The, the draw knife one is one that I'm really excited about. Um, I have... A couple of them, I played with them all summer long at the Stepping Stone Museum, but I know very little about them. But I'll tell you, doing inlay, Glenn Huey's thing on string line and barrier inlay using a router, yeah. I'm intrigued yeah. very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, they just posted something on that today. Glenn put his um, Chester County, Chester drawers that he did at Acanthus Workshop this summer that they're doing, I think, in the December issue. And so I guess for those of you, <clears throat> Vic, they can't make it to woodworking in America. Um, that particular class will be discussed in the December issue of Popular Woodworking. Nice, but that looks pretty cool. I'd love to learn how to do that with with a router because I've only ever done it with um, like a scratch stock. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Do you guys know are all the classes set up so that like the first hour is essentially a lecture or a presentation, and the second hour is an opportunity to do hands on if you want to? Yes. So every yeah. one of them is set up that way. Yeah, right. and that that's a, they did something like that at the last hand tool one where you had like a a follow up session. But what's cool is there it's all in the same place this time because mm-hmm. um, God, I remember in Valley Forge. I mean, I lost weight walking back and forth. You know, it was yeah. a huge trek from one side to the other, and you know, you would you'd be in with um, you know pick your favorite. You'd be in with Adam Carabini. And then he would have like a Q&A session afterwards or what they called a hands-on session. But that was way down in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And and I think, frankly, logistically, you know, these guys were like packing up their tools and everything. They demoed on like a little cart and wheeling it down the hall. And, you know, it, it became kind of a nightmare. Um, so you may not be able to get that like hands-on section until two days later. Whereas now it's like right after the course, which I think is pretty cool. I mean, me, for instance, I'm going to basically spend all day Friday with Roy Underhill. How nice. freaking cool is that? In the same room, you know, saw sharpening, ripping, cross-cutting, all that stuff. And there's each lecture. And then afterwards, go and do it. And I'm specifically bringing um, a, a dull saw to learn how to sharpen it. But, I mean, how often can you say, I'm literally going to spend six hours with Roy Underhill um, working and, and talking with the guy? And And actually, there was a question way, way back in the chat room before we started this um, about um, – do, do people really bring tools to this? Uh, Jay Wagoner, I think. Yeah. Brought it yeah. Up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yes, people do bring tools. Not that many though, frankly. And I, I think if you bring tools this time, you will almost assuredly get a chance to do the hands-on things. Cause I think people are going to be wanting to do some things and having to fight over the tools that are available there. Right. <laughs> Plus I also see a lot of people like just kind of standing back and not really jumping in. So I would urge you, if you want to do the hands-on stuff, just do it. Um, the instructions are there. They want to help you. They want to show you. Um, 
last year, uh, Chuck Bender did something. He's like, I have no intention of lecturing guys. You either ask questions or I'm just going to go sit down over here and take a nap. You know, <laughs> it got people up to say, Hey, okay, how do I do this? And yeah. you know, the idea is lay your hands on the tools and, and just do some stuff with it. So it bring your tools. I mean, I'm, I'm bringing some, um, frankly, cause I, I want to, I want Ron Herman and Roy Underhill to tell me how to sharpen my crosscut saw. Right. So, I'm actually not bringing much myself just with the air travel and all that yeah. stuff. I like to travel light. So, um, plus I've if got, if I were flying, it would be a different story. No yeah. That makes it a whole lot uh, more of a big deal. Now here's the problem though. I don't know what I might be coming home with. So I may, I may not <laughs> yeah. check a bag on the way there, but I sure as heck may be checking a bag on the way back. But, uh, I mean, looking at these classes, I pretty much packed my schedule. So I don't necessarily have anything blocked out for hands-on, you know? So I guess if I'm really, really intrigued and I get the opportunity, I'll just try and, you know, knock some people out of the way and steal the, uh, the ones that are there for people to use, <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just not well, going to travel with if them. nothing else. I mean, this is a, frankly, these guys don't really have anything planned for that extra session. It's kind of your time for Q and a. So, you know, now is the time. I mean, how often do you get a chance to talk to Frank Klaus about making dovetails or chopping mortises? Yeah. Um, it's just a phenomenal opportunity to really be able to pick the brains of these guys. That it so is. Do it. <laughs> do it. Do it. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll look at my list tomorrow and I'll see if anything is important enough for me to, to you know, pack some stuff. But if I got to pack a bag anyway, then I may as well throw a couple things in there. I'll, right. I'll be perfectly honest. Woodworking in America, as much fun as it is, it's extraordinarily frustrating at the same time because there's so much stuff going on. You just you can't help but feel like you're missing something. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like it's going to be even worse this time around. So. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. All I right. Can, well, I just uh, the TSA officer with you, Mark, at the airport. Excuse me, sir. Um, there seems to be a tool in your underwear. What is this all about? Dude, you should have seen when I when I traveled last time to Atlanta um, when I went to teach at Highland. They, I mean, the guy was just looking at the stuff and he, was, he just couldn't figure out what it was. I'm like, I'm, you know, and it was stuff that didn't even have any blades in it. Like my, uh, the Veritas MK2 sharpener and, uh, and some sharpening <laughs> stones and things. And the guy's just inspecting everything. I'm like, I'm a woodworker. I'm like, these are sharpening stones. There's no blades in here. And it still took me like 20 minutes to get, to get through there. And I should have just, you know, checked the stuff, but I, I don't like checking if I don't have to. Yeah. Anyway, it's pretty tough. So, all right, let's close this out. If any of you are going to woodworking in America, we'll see you there. So, um, hopefully, you know, you'll, you should be able to recognize us. We'll be pretty obvious and we'll probably be together many times. So, uh, don't be the one walking around. around Yeah. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't be afraid to come and say hi to us. He'll be, he'll be signing autographs. Uh, I will be hiding behind Matt most of the time I'm expecting. Which won't be very difficult considering the way I've been eating recently. (laughs) I'll be dancing behind Matt. You won't even see me. All right. (laughs) So Matt, you want to tell them how they can get in touch with us or whatever it is you usually say at the end of the show? All right. No problem at all. So if you happen to want to get a hold of us for some reason, maybe it's something that you heard in the show or again, maybe it's something you haven't heard. There's a couple of different ways you can get hold of us. Number one, you can email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com, or you can pick up the phone and leave us a message on our voicemail at 623-242-2450. And, of course, you can get a hold of us on Twitter at Podcast at Woodwhisper, or at Renaissance Woodworker. Find us on Facebook, and you know, I definitely recommend you head on over there and do this. Uh, like I said, you'll find one of us in there probably uh, any time during any day of any month of any year. <laughs> Well, it hasn't been up a year. But anyways, uh, <laughs> woodtalkonline.com. It's the new forum. It's hot. You should be there because if you're not, um, 
you're a loser. So anyway, so that's pretty much it. And if you can't reach us with any of those ways, it's puff, puff, poof, puff, and smoke smoke signals. (laughs) There you go. I never (laughs) thought of that. Hey, while you're out there and you're going to email us, you should also comment on the fact that Shannon was wrong about the joiner fence, but we're just going to go ahead and leave that. We'll talk to you guys. Bye. <laughs> nice. Good way to close it. All right. Hey, uh, I do want to mention that we will try to do a live. Well, not live. I don't know if we're going to have the internet connection to do it live, but we will be recording some sort of a roundtable podcast type thing uh, that's going to, of course, have me, Matt, and Shannon. We're probably going to bring in folks like Adam King, Tom Ivino. You know, maybe we'll get Carrie to join in if she's available. So I don't know how, when, or the way it's going to go down, but I'm going to bring everything with me and hopefully we'll be able to have a little uh, live in-person roundtable discussion, which should be completely awkward because we've never actually done this in person before. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Chat room. We appreciate you hanging out with us and uh, I guess we'll catch you next time. Thank you, everyone. 